0: Well this morning uh, we're going to be in Acts chapter one. Uh, I had intended to preach from Acts chapter 1, verse 12 through the end of the chapter and that changed on Thursday uh, as I was going back through things and yeah, so you get half today, half next week. And let's start and uh, and just read uh, through verse 15 this morning. Acts chapter 1. Uh, starting with verse twelve, it says then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a sabbath 's day journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simus the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. All these with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120. We're going to stop right there. Um, So it starts out in the beginning of of this section. It says, then they, the disciples, um, returned to Jerusalem. Now remember... Last week, we were talking about uh, Jesus ascending and, and uh, they were on the Mount of Olives for that. And Jesus meets with them. He gives them this this challenge um, before they before he goes and he ascends up uh, into heaven right before them. And so it says at the beginning that that um, they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives. Now, I think that that has good implications uh, and simple implications. But I think the ones that should apply to us and it's pretty simple is why do they do that? because they were obedient i mean just that simple i mean jesus told them go back to jerusalem and wait and so they went back to jerusalem and wait and and that seems pretty simple but man i think what we're going to find is with the disciples and with the followers of jesus in the early church it didn't matter what jesus told them to do they did it they just obeyed they they believed god and they obeyed and so if it was as simple as going back to jerusalem or as what we would consider as complex as things to come, uh, they just obeyed. They believed God. They, they, whatever God said, okay, Jesus told us to go back. Now, it kind of is a big deal, remember, because they just saw Jesus risen from the dead. And, 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 and not just that, but they saw Jesus ascend into heaven. I don't know if you guys, we talked about that last week, right? We talked about the ascension. Did you guys pay attention on the way home? No one ascended or anything, but like, did you look at the clouds? I just could not get it out of my head. The clouds last Sunday afternoon were amazing. Uh, we had Dave and Cress over, and and Cress was saying the same thing. Like, it was just amazing on the way home Sunday. The clouds were just, it was it was wild. I mean, it was just so cool. And so Sean and I were talking about this whole ascension thing on the way home, and just the thought of that. I mean, can you imagine that? For just for a second, like, he ascended. Like, here's Jesus in front of them and all of a sudden he just descends up into the clouds you go outside and watch it's pretty a pretty remarkable thing we went to the um we actually went to Ashland where Shauna's parents are from this Friday for uh they have an annual um hot air balloon festival and uh pretty cool the kids love it parents love it too but it's cool there's just this whole field covered with hot air balloons they launch them and then at night they do this balloon glow thing where it's dark out and they light them up and little hot air balloon night lights out there or something anyway uh but this one balloon like most of the balloons when they lift off it's you know they kind of gradually just kind of float up and then the wind will take them over this one balloon i don't know if he's showing off i don't know he's doing but just kind of kept it tethered down until like he couldn't keep it tethered anymore and so it's time for him to launch let's go this guy shoots straight up in the air just so fast i mean literally it was like okay that's the guy i don't want to be on the balloon with these guys are my friends and i'm not riding with that guy it was intense like he just went up so fast i just started thinking about like okay jesus ascension what was it like jesus ascended okay and so the disciples are coming off of that They're coming off of seeing him alive after he was dead They're coming off of seeing him go up into heaven they're coming off of this this mountain where these angels spoke to them and said what are you waiting for don't keep staring up into the into heaven go and 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 the same jesus that you saw go up he's going to come back again and and uh and so they're coming off of that and there's pretty good assumption they're ready to go and tell people about everything jesus has done for them but the first thing they do is obey we're going to obey we're going to go back and we're going to do what jesus said and if that means wait a few days we're going to wait a few days and we're just going to do whatever it is that jesus says for us to do and we're okay with that man that's pretty challenging maybe it's simple like just wait maybe it's not maybe jesus will call us to do something big but are we ready for that are we ready for that in our lives and are we willing to say jesus man it's as clear as anything that you called me to do this in the bible and so I'm not comfortable doing that, but I'm going to do that because you told me to. It's not the first instinct that I have. Disciples, my first instinct is, I just got to go tell people about this Jesus who was dead. Now he's alive. He just went up into heaven. These angels told me he's coming back. That's their instinct is I just got to go tell people. But they wait because Jesus said, wait, they obey because Jesus said to do something. And I just, you know, as we go into this, and especially in the beginning of Acts, because we're going to, we're going to see a lot of things about the early church. Is that you and me? Is that how we're responding? Where we, we we know, God, you're saying something to us in your word. And so I may not be comfortable with it, but I'm going to do it because I know that you've told me to do it. You've commanded me to do it. So I'm just going to obey. Is that where we're at? Um, it goes on in the passage. Uh, so they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olivet. Um, the Mount called Olivet. That's the Mount of Olives. It's... Um, A mountain that overlooks Jerusalem not really a mountain uh, as far as we think as far as a mountain it's about 400 uh, feet in elevation and so not huge Um, and so when Jesus ascended he really ascended it's not like he's on the top of Mount Everest and there's like a cloud five feet above him and he sends I mean imagine that all right like he really ascended and so they're coming off of this mountain and it says that um, which is near Jerusalem a Sabbath day journey away what does that mean a Sabbath day journey away well, in the rabbinical law, the the Jewish law, um, you were only allowed to go a certain distance on the Sabbath day. Okay, uh, that was two thousand cubits, which is between somewhere between a half a mile and a three quarters of a mile. Okay, and so what 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 the passage is saying is not saying it's the Sabbath day. It's saying the distance from the the Mount of Olives to Jerusalem is, a, or, or at least to the house, is about a Sabbath day journey, which is about two thousand cubits, which is about between a half a mile and three-quarters of a mile, okay? Um, by law, you couldn't walk further than that on the Sabbath because they considered that work. Anything 2,000 cubits and below, go for it. And so um, when it talks about that, that, that phrase, a Sabbath day journey became synonymous with um, 2,000 cubits or half a mile to three-quarters of a mile, okay? Uh, so when it talks about that, that's just telling us the distance of, of how far it was, not the day or anything like that. But in verse 13... It goes on, it says, and when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. uh, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. And so they go up into this upper room. Uh, Most of the houses um, then had an upper room. (laughs) not absolutely sure on this but it seems like from the coming verses must have been a big upper room because it seems like this is the room that they're meeting in okay and we know in a couple verses we're going to find out there's 120 people so probably a large room that that they're in to meet in to pray in and and uh next week we're going to talk about peter standing up in the midst of the people 120 people and and kind of giving this challenge um probably a good chance that this is this is where they're meeting in this large upper room of this house probably a large house but uh not that that matters don't go home and Make some doctrinal statement about large upper rooms, okay? Um, But just to give you a picture of of kind of what's going on here. And so so it says in... in, in there, that here's the disciples. They go up into the upper room. Here's the disciples that are there: Peter and John and James, Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James. If you count that, that's eleven disciples. Uh, it's minus Judas Iscariot. Judas uh, that's mentioned there at the end is not Judas Iscariot. Um, he is. We're going to talk about this next week as well. Has already uh, obviously turned Jesus in, and and uh, and we'll find out the other stuff about his. Life next week, but um, so there's 11 disciples left, and and you know we talked about last week where the um, probably the heart condition of the disciples where they've lost Jesus again, right? They said goodbye to Jesus again, and and that's hard, that's difficult. Imagine that, okay? Imagine being able to walk with Jesus and and see all the things he had done and and all of that, and having to say goodbye to him again. That's that's tough. In the midst of all this, one of their closest friends, Judas, is the reason that they saw Jesus die in the first place. He turned Jesus in and and, and handed him over to the authorities and and is gone now. And so not only Jesus is gone, but this guy, Judas, is gone. Um, And and so there's there's probably some hurting that's going on inside of the disciples in the midst of this. And it's kind of cool to see what their response is um, as they go back. They go up into the upper room. And it says in verse 14, it says, "All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer." What they do when they're hurrying? What were they doing when, I mean, Jesus is gone, Judas is gone, and, and how do they respond? They go back, they get together, and with one accord. They're devoting themselves to prayer. That, that, that phrase, one accord, I think is important for the church because it talks about spiritual unity. It's one of the characteristics of, of the early church that you're going to find. I mean, they are unified. They're unified in spirit. They're unified in mind. They're unified in heart. They're unified in purpose. It's just like, man, we just want, you know, there's a song. Um, we have a, a kid's CD, worship CD in our van in our that's playing right now. And, and uh, song on it. The, the first line of the chorus is, we want to see Jesus lifted high. It's a great song, and uh, I just thought of that song. It just kept going through my head as I read this part of the passage. Here they are in one accord, meeting together with one accord. And I just think, man, we just want to see Jesus lift high. And I think of our church, uh, where our purpose is pursuing God's fame. And that's what we want to see. It's not that, that, that the pastor or the staff or whatever else, that, that that's their purpose. But as a church, just like this early church, that with one accord, with one voice with one heart one purpose we would say we want to see jesus lifted high we want to pursue god's fame we don't care about anything else this is first everything else comes second to this we want to pursue god's fame and just like first corinthians ten thirty one says whatever we do whether we eat or whether we drink whatever we do we want to do it all for the glory of god and that's, that's really what my heart is for us in this. That just like the disciples, just like this early group of, of, of followers of Jesus, that, man, we would just say our purpose is clear. Our heart is clear. God, we want to pursue you and your fame above everything else. We want you to be glorified through e- above everything else and through everything that we do. And just like these disciples with one accord, one accord, they're coming together and, and, and praying. It's, I love that. How do you respond in difficult times? How do you respond with, when things are difficult? How do you respond when you lose whatever? Man, they come together and they've lost the, the physical aspect of having Jesus there. And they just want accord We're coming together. We're going to pray. We're, see, they lost the physical part of Jesus, but they didn't lose fellowship with Jesus. They didn't lose fellowship with him. It's just, that's that's it's huge. Okay, In our prayer time, that's what we have. When we pray, we are fellowshipping, we are talking, we are listening, we are spending time with the God of the universe. And that's what they're doing. They're recognizing first thing, man, we have got to get together. We've got to be in one accord and we've got to pray. They're devoted to it. Devoted to praying with one another. Are we devoted to praying by ourselves, you know? Are we even devoted just man, I just ha- I've got to pray. I've got to fellowship with God. I've got to have communion with God. I've got to talk to God. I've, are we even devoted ourselves individually? And here's the disciples. They're devoted with one accord, devoted to coming together as a family, as a body, seeking God through prayer. It's beautiful. I mean, it's a beautiful picture of what the church should look like. First thing, let's, let's just pray. Let's just pray. Let's seek God. Let's, let's talk to God. Let's commune with God. Let's fellowship with God. Is that where we're at? Is that how we're responding? And so it says all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. So it's not just the disciples up there. There's a group of people there and it lists some of those people here. It says together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. Um, I thought it'd be good. Actually, um, this is the last time that Mary, uh, Jesus' mother, is mentioned in the Bible. Uh, You won't find any mention of her from here out in the Bible. I thought um, there's a lot of things that have been taught and said about Mary, the mother of Jesus. And I thought, you know what, it'd probably be good to cover uh, some of those things since she's mentioned here for the last time. And so um, as you think of Mary, there's two things I I wanted to talk about this morning on that. This is not going to be the main part of our sermon. I just I think it's important that we know this. We know the Bible teaches about it that we that we are submitting to what the Bible teaches about it. And there's two things. Um, the first is this, and and uh, it's this that Mary should be honored. Mary should be honored. You know, this is there's two extremes that, that happen with with Mary, the mother of Jesus, and this is this is the one extreme. And, and I think evangelical churches today. Um, What happens is we're so afraid of the alternative extreme that we're going to talk about in a second. We're so afraid of that, that that we just don't even mention. Don't even talk about the mother of Jesus. Don't talk about Mary. Um, And and so we kind of stay away from that. But if you look at at, uh, Luke um, chapter 1, and it's really the beginning of of the story of Jesus coming. um, Mary is pregnant with Jesus. And in verse 41, she goes to visit Elizabeth and it says in verse 41 of Luke chapter 1, it says, And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Imagine that. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. First thing is this. Mary should be honored. She was a woman of virtue and was set apart by God to carry Christ. And, and that's, that's, that's something that we ought to consider when we think of Mary. We're thankful for Mary. Um, we honor uh, the fact that God would choose her and, and she was set apart. From all women in that okay but here's the second part about mary the mother of jesus that is so important it's this it's um she should not be exalted and she should not be worshiped that's the same one she should not be exalted or worshiped uh there's four reasons why um, that 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 i believe the bible clearly teaches that she should not be exalted or worshipped. the first one is um she's here in this room guys with the worshipers of jesus She's praying to him devotedly. She's seeking him just like they are. Um, she was born just like we are in sin, and she needed Jesus to save her from her sins, just like the rest of the people in the room. And so the first reason that we don't exalt or worship Jesus is because she's there with the other worshipers, and she's worshiping. Or I said Jesus, didn't I? The second reason we don't worship or exalt the mother of Jesus whew, uh Make sure that's on the recording, um, man, uh, is because uh, she's here in this room worshiping Jesus and praying to Jesus. OK, the second is this and uh, two passages we're going to look at for the next two things. The, the second one is this Mark chapter three, Mark chapter three. Jesus is teaching in Mark chapter three and. Uh, and his mother and brothers come and kind of. Um, trying to use their relationship to Jesus to kind of get um, special treatment. Uh, They come to Jesus and they actually send someone in. In Mark chapter 3, we're going to look at verses 31 and 32. They send someone in, and, and uh, we'll pick it up there. It says, and, and his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him, and a crowd was sitting around him, Jesus, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. So they're, they're looking for special treatment. He's in the middle of teaching, and they're saying, You know, we're here. Come, come see us. We're your family. And, uh, and look at what Jesus' response is in that, okay? And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Even when Mary and and, and Jesus' brothers were seeking a special treatment, Jesus didn't give that to them. He said, Here's who my mother and my brothers and my sisters are. It's those who obey God. It's those who do his will. They're all my mother and my brother and my sisters and 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 they're my family okay the next passage uh the third reason is is uh luke chapter 11 guys this is huge um in 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 defense of uh mary not being um one to be worshiped or prayed to or or anything like that in in luke chapter 11 verses 27 to 28 again jesus is teaching And it says in verse 27, it says, As he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. Now, we can assume that's talking about Mary right there. Right? Okay. Uh, Shot in the dark. Pretty good guess. That's Mary. Um, But he said, this is Jesus' response, okay, to this lady speaking up about his mother. He said, But he said, Blessed rather than are those who hear the word of God and keep it blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it guys it's 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 huge because of this um if if Jesus had wanted us to worship his mother if he'd wanted us to pray to his mother he had every opportunity every opportunity to teach at that point and to exalt her Um, and to lift her at a level that that is never mentioned this passage and no other passage ever does that to Mary it doesn't in fact it does the opposite Jesus taught the opposite there was nothing special about Mary in that regard except that God chose her to carry Christ she was a sinful person who needed a savior and that's why Jesus says rather she's just like everyone else, whoever obeys God's word, those are the ones that are blessed. Okay? And then the last thing is is um, is this, what I mentioned already, actually, is that she's never mentioned again. Never mentioned again in the rest of the New Testament. And here's the thing. if If there was some profound, important teaching about the mother of Jesus that we ought to know... Man, we've got to think that Paul would have included that into his letters to the churches, and Peter would have included that in his letter. And if this was a, and it's, it's not, it's, she's not mentioned again. And so, just to, um, in, in case that's something that you've been taught or struggled with or whatever, um, scripturally, biblically, that's where we have to stand, okay? It's not anything else. It's not that we take someone's word over what the Bible says. No, God's word is what we follow. And so, uh, according to God's word, man, we just follow Christ. And we worship him and we exalt him and we lift him up higher than any other um, person being whatever you want to say there. Okay, so let's move on. Um, So it says that they're they're in the room, Mary, the mother and and then the brothers. Um, So cool that it says his brothers are there, because if if you look back and you don't have to look there right now, but in John, chapter seven, verse five, it says that not even Jesus's brothers believed in him. Jesus is out teaching and 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 doing all these miracles and and it says that his brothers didn't even believe in him. His brothers didn't believe that he was the one to come to save the world, and and whether they're just skeptical, what you know, you 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 know brothers who who are just great at grades and they have perfect grades and and they're just incredible at sports and and just they do all this incredible stuff. And how do the other brothers look at them when they can't even hardly hit a baseball or? Or they don't know what, you know, the Pythagorean theorem is in school or anything like that, right? There's jealousy and it's just like, you know, those, those other brothers look at them. And, and maybe that's what's going on with Jesus and his brothers. But what it says is that they didn't even believe. And yet here, after Jesus' resurrection, it says they're with the followers, they're praying, they're seeking God. And we don't know exactly for sure when that happens. We know that in 1 Corinthians 15, it does say that after Jesus resurrected, we referred to this two weeks ago, um, that after Jesus was resurrected, he actually appeared to his brother, James. And so maybe it was then, maybe maybe James didn't fully believe until he saw Jesus after his resurrection. And it's just like, that's pretty good proof and, and pretty good change there, but... Um, but man, here's James now, and the brothers of Jesus who are meeting together and praying and following. Um, actually, James, one of his brothers, uh, is is the James that wrote the book of James later on. His his other uh, brother is is the author of the book of Jude. And so, uh, man, the life change in these brothers. And I'll tell you, you know, not to get sidetracked too much. But again, affirmation to me. I mean, just stuff that affirms. The truth of the Bible, because, you know, the story I told a a few seconds ago about brothers who are jealous of brothers um, that doesn't change if the brother dies after he's claimed to say he's going to rise again. Like if there's jealousy and, you know, if my older brother was was incredible in school and a great athlete and I just jealous of him my whole life, something happens to him and and he's taken off of, of his whatever place or he's killed um usual response to that with brothers is not um oh i was wrong about him or or maybe he was the son of god or anything like that it would be uh okay let's see now if he really is what he said he was going to be and here's the brothers who obviously saw obviously believed and are following christ now and actually writing and encouraging and leading um james was the leader of the church in jerusalem and and uh just incredible but let's move on to the passage uh, verse 14 again it says all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary and the mother of Jesus and his brothers in those days Peter stood up among the brothers the company of persons was in all about 120 and we're going to talk about what Peter stands up and says and all that uh, next week but I wanted to notice something um, and this is one of the reasons I kind of uh, cut the sermon in half because one of the things I wanted to look at was um, the company of persons was in all about 120 people 120 people. Now, we're going to find out, and you maybe you've read ahead. Maybe you've read the book of Acts before. Maybe you read the rest of the New Testament. Maybe you just sit here and realize, whoa, 120 people, 2,000 years later. They must have done something. Uh, something happened. and and uh, But what we're going to find out in the book of Acts is God uses 120 people. And, yes, there's probably some more in Galilee um, that are there because of Jesus' ministry and teaching there. But here in Jerusalem, 120 people that God's going to use. Just send out and just flip the world upside down and just change everything. Remember what he said, um, go into all the world and, and, and you're going to receive power when, when my Holy Spirit comes upon you and you're going to be my witnesses into J- Jerusalem, Samaria, Judea, and to the ends of the earth. And that was what he told him was going to happen. And what we're finding 2,000 years later is he was, he was telling the truth um, that they did receive power. And here's 120 people that God used to just flip the world upside down and take the message of Jesus Christ everywhere. I don't know what you think when you think of that, but you know what I think? Cornerstone Community Church. <laughs> Not everyone's here today, but if you don't know and if you don't stand at the front door and count the people that come in, we have 120 people that come to our church. And, and I think of that, and I think of the number of people that God used to change the world. And I don't know what that does for you, but what it does for me is I think, you know what, God hasn't changed at all. As a matter of fact, Scripture says he never will change. He's the same yesterday, today, forever. Which tells me he's able to do the same thing yesterday as he does today. And he's going to do that forever. And I'm just... Man, I think of the potential of people... Because here's 120 people who did what? Submitted to God. Gave their life to God. Did what salvation is supposed to be. They give their life to God. And they submit to Him. And they obey Him whether it's a simple request or a big command they just obey him and they do whatever he says and he uses them to flip the world upside down what do you see when you see 120 people who are following christ together you see hope i mean honestly i thought through that i thought man what what has happened to us Like what's happened to our faith? Have we lost our faith? Have we lost our zeal? Have we lost our passion? Have we lost our love? Here's 120 people in the middle of the room. They didn't know that a couple weeks later there's going to be 3,000 of them. Okay? They didn't know that a few weeks after that, there's going to be thousands more. They just didn't know that. They didn't know what the numbers were going to look like. They just knew God said to go. They just knew God said that He was going to do something when His Spirit came on us because there's some kind of power that's going to come on them and they're going to be witnesses. That's all they knew. And so they said, God, we're going to open ourselves up to you. We're going to let you do whatever you want to do through us and not what we want to do through us. And then let's just see what happens. And man, what happens is the world has changed. What do we think? What do we think when we think of ourselves as followers of Jesus Christ? Do we see that? I mean, do we see that God has asked us to be his witness? We talked about it last week. He has called us to be his witnesses here and out there and beyond and beyond to the ends of the earth. He's called us to be that. He's commanded us to be that. He has blessed us with that. Because that's one of the fruits of having the Holy Spirit on us is we're going to have power to be the witness that God has called us to be. Because he's blessed us with that. And do we see it that way? And do we believe that God is able to do everything that he's done in the past. And everything that he's promised that he will do through his people. 120 people change the world upside down. Flip it upside down. And God is glorified with their response. I mean, my request and, and my, my question for you this morning is how are we going to respond? How are we going to respond with last week? We, when, we, when we look at a message that says, Be my witnesses, you are my witnesses. How you respond to that, that's on you. But you're either going to be a, an incredible witness of, of my glory and my fame and my love for mankind, or you're not. Are you going to stand before me ashamed of, 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 of what you didn't do for me? Now, what are we going to do with that call and with the power of? That God has given us through His Holy Spirit to be His witnesses, to go into all nations, to go into all neighborhoods, to go into all workplaces, to go into every place, and be witnesses for Him and for His name'sake. What are we going to do with that? What can God do through 120 people? You know, um, I was thinking through a couple passages because you know we we think of that, and and do we really think? Do we really think, man? God can take 120 people from Cornerstone Community Church and He can He can flip this city upside down, He can change this whole city, or or God can take 120 people from this church and He can He can change the whole state of Ohio, or He can flip this whole country upside down and change it, or or you know what, you know maybe God hasn't changed and maybe He can take 120 people from this church in Ohio and He can flip the whole world upside down. We believe that, you know man what honestly as i've thought through that we're gonna look at a couple passages just to finish up but where do we hold god in our lives i mean see is he, is he is he just right here in this little little box that we keep in front of us and put him next to our bed or or whatever else and we kind of you know he's limited in what he can do and and because we're not gonna let him do anything through us or do we really see that god is able to do more than we could ever ask or imagine and what's he doing through us right now I mean, here's the disciples, here's the followers of Christ, and we're going to find out that they just submit to Him, and He just does incredible stuff. What's He doing through us? What's He doing through me? What's He doing through you? And we have got to start there. You know, it says in John 15:5, says uh, Jesus is talking. He says, "Apart from Me, you can do nothing." Apart from me, you can do nothing. That means you can, you can get the best job in the world. You can, you can get the, the, the best wife or the best husband in the world. You do whatever, okay? You go to the best college. You can go here. You can do whatever. Apart from me, he says, nothing. You can do nothing apart from me. And so to take that backwards, I was thinking about that. If we're doing nothing, I think maybe we ought to stop. If we're doing nothing, if we're not being what God calls us to be, what He's commissioned us to be, if we're not doing anything, then we maybe need to examine that verse. Because since Jesus says, "Apart from me, you can do nothing," then maybe if we're doing nothing, we need to examine: Are we really with Christ? Are we have we separated ourselves from Him? Have we just put the name of Christian on us? Have we just said? We're just weird. We go to church. We grew up in church. My mom was a Christian and her dad was a Christian and this person was a Christian and on and on and on. And so I'm a Christian. I must be saved. Is that true? Are we with Christ? Because I see that. I think apart from you, I can do nothing. And therefore, with you, I can do whatever you want to do. I can do whatever you want me to do. I can do whatever you called me to do. I can do anything with Christ. In fact, there's a passage in, uh, in Ephesians 3.20, and I, what I referred to a minute ago. And it says, um, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. That's God. Do we still see God that way? Do we believe? I mean, did we come to him believing he's able to save me? He's able to wash me. He's able to cleanse me. He's able to do what I can't do for myself. He's able to save me. We still believe that God is able to do anything through me. I know we have hang-ups, right? We have hang-ups like I'm weak and, and I'm just one person and I feel like I, I, I'm tempted too much and I feel like I sin too much. And, and there's a couple of verses I want to share with you okay? As, as, we, as we kind of finish up this message. In Romans chapter 16, Romans 16 verse 25 Now, we're coming off this idea that God is huge, okay? Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. Romans 16, at the end of of, uh, the book of Romans, Paul's ending this this incredible letter. It says, Now, to him who is able to strengthen you, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long for, uh, long ages, you know, it was uh, it was amazing. I was talking to Michael Gilbert this week about um, what we're going to be talking about next week with with Matthias. He's going to be the, the 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 disciple that replaced Judas. We never hear of him again, ever, never, it, not one. It's the only time he's mentioned in all of the Bible. And most of the disciples, that's the case. We hear the big guys for the you know throughout the rest of the Bible, but there are disciples even followers that the disciples that were with christ and train. we never hear another word about him. man you may feel like you're weak and you're in the background or whatever if god didn't use three people to change the world he used 120 people yeah there's there's three and 12 people that led those 120 but he used the 120 to change the world And you may feel weak, but the Bible says God is able to strengthen you no matter your background, no matter what you feel like you can do, no matter what you've done in the past, no matter what. If we submit to him, that's the key. Okay, if we're not apart from Christ, if we submit to him, he's able to strengthen us. Hebrews chapter two, verse 18. Hebrews chapter two, verse 18. For because, this is talking about Jesus, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. This is huge, okay, guys? Because, yeah, I don't know how many of you, but I'm sure most of you are sitting there and thinking, change the world, change my office, change my family even. You have no idea the things that I'm tempted with, the things that I'm doing, the things I'm involved with. I don't, but I know that Christ does, and Christ overcame sin, and is able it's not okay that you're staying doing it i'm not i'm not condoning what you're doing okay but god is able to help you when you are tempted he is able to help you to overcome and to focus your heart to fix your heart on him if you're struggling with those things don't stay there i'm telling you this first because you need to know that god is bigger than the things you're struggling with he is bigger than the things you're dealing with he is bigger than all of that stuff we have to submit to him and give our lives completely to him so that when we are tempted, we can trust, Jesus, you did it, and you're in me, you're with me, and so somehow I am able to overcome this temptation and come out for the glory of God. He's able. When we're weak, when we're tempted, he is able to help us through. This next verse is incredible, it's a book that's hidden in, in the Bible, and a lot of people um, just skip right over it, but it's right before the book of Revelation, the book of Jude. And uh, Jude is so small, it doesn't even have chapters. It's just Jude, verse whatever. Now, we're going to look at verse 24. I love this verse. Now, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless for the presence of his glory with great joy. Man, if we have failed, if we whatever even if we haven't failed, whatever it is, okay? If we feel like our life is just, man, it's rolling with you, Lord. I just have incredible fellowship with God. Or maybe it's not. Maybe it's just like, Lord, I'm struggling. That last verse is exactly what I need to hear because I'm tempted over and over and over and over. Listen to this. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. I don't know about you. I need that kind of God. I need that I need a God who's going to keep me from falling I need a God who in spite of my flesh in spite of my sin in spite of the decisions I've made in spite of my thought life in spite of my heart in spite of all the things that I have said and done in my life he's able to keep me from stumbling and he is able to present me before God blameless man that is incredible i hope i hope you see god that way and i hope you see god as a god who's able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think here's my here's my challenge um and 120 people strong 120 people change the world and here's my challenge to you is to plug in to be a part of the 120 don't be on the sidelines don't be the ones that are plugging in and on the field and part of the huddle and finding out the plays and getting involved And going and doing whatever it is God chooses to do through us. It's all him. It's all him. It's him. Him that chose and was able to use the 120 up in the upper room. It's him that sent them out. It's him that did the incredible things through them. And it will be him if he does incredible things through us. It will be. It won't be us. It's just us submitting to the God who is able to do through us more than we can ask or imagine. Let's pray that God will do that. And first of all, man, if you're just not that person yet, if you're just not plugged in, if you're not part of the body, if you're not, you're just coming in and coming out and just not engaged, my challenge is, is, man, just like these early disciples, these early followers, that we'd be unified in our spirit and that we would live to pursue God's fame and to give Him glory in all things. Let me pray. Father, thank You so much for Your goodness. Thanks for Your grace. God, thanks for these... Uh, Men and women, 120 people that you used, and now 2,000 years later, we are sitting here and telling the story again. Not the story just of these 120 people, the story that they told. That God sent His Son, that You gave us life and freedom and forgiveness through Jesus, through His death and through His resurrection, and that You have. Done more than we could ask or imagine, even through that. Thank you for men and women throughout these last 2,000 years who have been witnesses for you, who who have told their children, 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 who have told me, and who have told these people here. God, help us to remember. That it is because of your witnesses, because of people who spoke the word of God, that we are saved. And I pray that we would be those witnesses to others around us. God, challenge us in these next weeks as we see what you do through these 120 people, challenge us and change us and convict us and make us what you want us to be in the church. For your glory, we pray. Amen.